Hey everybody, this is Ian Reed Twiss, the pastor of Holy Cross Episcopal Church in Novi, Michigan. Welcome to the podcast. Today's sermon was actually preached by a guest preacher, Jenny Dara, uh, based on uh, Luke 9, verses 51 through 62. So uh, we will read that passage first and then get on to Jenny's sermon. And uh, if you want to skip the reading of the passage, just uh, move ahead in your podcast about a minute and 20 seconds, and you'll be almost right there to listen to Jenny's uh, sermon. All right, enjoy. A reading from Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. sometimes if Jesus ever wanted to replace the disciples wholesale. Maybe post an ad, hold a few rounds of interviews, and come away with 12 new people who maybe, maybe, seem to be capable of paying attention to what he's saying and retaining it for more than a few minutes. Wanted. Students for wandering rabbi. Must be willing to learn ways to overthrow oppressors without involving swords and have basic understanding of how parables work. Travel required, 90%. Compensation, well, we'll talk about that at your interview. People who want to call down fire from heaven to consume villages of sassy Samaritans need not apply. I had some trouble with today's gospel reading, trying to get my head around it in isolation, so it seemed like a good idea to look before and after it to see what else is going on here. Luke 9 is one of the chapters where the disciples mess up. A lot. It starts off pretty promising. Jesus sends out the 12 to heal and tell the good news. And they do this and they meet back up and they're all full of hope. But then Jesus preaches to the 5,000 and the disciples try to send them away to buy their own food instead of trusting Jesus to make their shared food enough for everyone. The disciples fail to cast a demon out of a boy. They have a squabble over which one of them is the greatest. And then they try to prevent someone who isn't part of their squad from 
from casting out a demon in Jesus' name. They follow up this tour de force by asking for permission to rain fire on a village of Samaritans who didn't want to host them for the night. The disciples are an absolute train wreck in Luke 9. We know that Luke was writing for a Greek audience, and even if his readers had been converts to Judaism, they still would have been part of that culture of the Greek gods. Greek gods are very human in their old stories. They're petty, they're capricious, they love causing trouble, and perhaps most importantly, they like and dislike all the same people and things that their worshipers like and dislike. Very convenient. I think Luke is portraying the disciples in a very Greek way here. They want Jesus to agree with them instead of wanting to agree with Jesus and what he's already taught them. These strangers aren't our problem, Jesus. Pick which one of us you like best, Jesus. This guy isn't part of our special secret in-group, Jesus. He can't do what we do. Jesus, this village disrespected you. Let's set them on fire. Jesus, of course, is simply not having it. No, we're going to feed these strangers. Yes, all 5,000 of them. We cast demons out of boys like this. None of you get to be the greatest because none of you are willing to be the least. Anyone doing good work in my name is okay by me. And burning down a whole Samaritan village for mild disrespect? Really, guys? Have you not listened to a word I've said this whole time? Jesus has no intention of fitting into the disciples' Mediterranean ideas of what a demigod should be and how a demigod should act. Pettiness? No. Capriciousness? Definitely not. Causing trouble? Well, yes, Jesus is all about that. But not against people who irritate him on a personal level. Jesus wants to cause trouble for the system, for the forces which dominate society in negative ways, not for the people trapped within the system. Jesus doesn't hold personal grudges, and Jesus doesn't give up on his 12 beloved screwballs, no matter how many times they just don't get it. He could have replaced them at any point. We have potential new disciples popping in all the time. Right here at the end of this reading are three of them, but Jesus doesn't go for it. He sticks to his original plan and his original disciples. Right after today's reading ends, Jesus sends out 70 followers, two by two, expanding the spread of the good news and healing even more people. The plan wasn't ruined. The parable of the Good Samaritan is on the very next page. No grudges against Samaritans here if one gets to be the hero of such a pointed parable. The key here is not that Jesus can force the disciples to do things correctly, but that he trusts the disciples to do the right thing, eventually. Jesus loves them and therefore trusts them. And that very trust is what equips them to do the jobs they need to do, eventually. Once they learn to believe in that trust and that love, and once they can reflect it back to Jesus and to the rest of humanity, there's no stopping them after that. The entire Bible is a history of God choosing what seems to be the wrong person for the job. 
Maybe God has a human resources department staffed by angels who carefully review human qualifications and recommend certain people as prophets and saints and mothers. Good people, powerful people, people who anyone could see are objectively perfect for the jobs God wants done. And God proceeds to ignore them completely. No, God tells the angelic HR department, the teenage peasant girl will give birth to the Messiah. The shepherd boy will be the king. The Moabite widow will become the mother of kings. The man with the stutter will be my great prophet. The elderly couple will become the grandparents of an entire race. But, but, but God, the scandalized angels exclaim, stacks of perfect polished resumes piled up on their desks. Why? Why them? Because, God says, I choose them. I trust them. That makes them the right people. Jesus tells one of the would-be followers that no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But all this man wanted to do is stop back by his house and let his family know where he was going. I don't think there are very many of us who would not do this before setting out on a big spiritual adventure. All of us would look back. So none of us are fit for the kingdom of God. But here we are anyway tasked with creating that kingdom in spite of our complete lack of fitness for the job. Jesus didn't need to hire new disciples because the flaws are one of the main points of the story. If Jesus trusts this flawed and imperfect group to carry out his work with love, maybe we can generalize that to realize that Jesus also trusts us. We are adequate to building the kingdom of love and justice on earth in life because Jesus trusts us to do it, flaws and blemishes and broken hearts and all. And it is hard, it's so hard in dark days to feel like we're adequate to any tasks at all. It's very easy to droop and wonder if we're doing any good in this world when the world can be so cruel that a man and his child drown trying to cross a river to safety where children are waiting and sickening in detention cages, where wildfires are being sparked by unprecedented heat waves. But I have seen kindness, and I have seen gentleness, and I have seen acceptance, and I have seen love. I have seen two men on a plane, a couple, leaning against each other to sleep, feeling reasonably sure and safe that the people behind them won't say anything negative. I've seen people scrambling to gather clothing and supplies for the detained children. I've seen strangers offer comfort to those who weep. All this, even the smallest acts of love, are the bricks that build the kingdom. The human vessels of God's love have no need to be perfect or worthy because God's love is perfect and worthy. That wellspring is infinite, and we can come back to it as many times as we need to, so we can carry that love into the world in our own ways. No cruelty, no doubt, no fire anyone can call down can ever be more powerful than that. Amen.
Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. And um, if you want to learn more about me or the church, you can find information on our website at holycrossnovi, that's N-O-V-I dot org. And uh, we plan to continue publishing these sermons, so you can find more of those wherever you found this one. All right, take care.